0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for that time of worship. Lord, would you open our hearts to hearing your word and for living it out, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. This Sunday is uh, the third Sunday of Advent. It's often thought of as the joy Sunday, and that's why you have a pink candle that kind of interrupts your dark blue or your purple candles. And it's fitting that we come to this passage on this Sunday, and fitting also that we sang joy to the world on the joy Sunday. This passage is an interruption of God's joy in a book that is largely, like many of these minor prophet books, about God's judgment in having to deal with Israel's sin and idolatry. And in the middle of Two and a half chapters of, you you can just flip back and kind of see uh, all of these descriptions of judgment on Judah's enemies, judgment on Jerusalem itself, as the day of the Lord comes and God shows up to set things right, we come at last to the final passage of Zephaniah, which is this interruption of joy in the middle of a word that sounds very downcast, very dismal, very non-joyous, suddenly we get this upturn of joy. And how much more do we need to hear that in our lives today, that in a season that can sometimes feel downcast and sometimes feel broken, and in our own hearts or even as we look around issues in our own world, it's easy to get down about things, to be reminded that in the middle of sadness, sadness, Or in the middle even of sinfulness, God calls us into restoration and back to His joy. I was thinking as I was preparing for this Sunday, of the Disney film Fantasia 2000, which came out about 1999, I think it was. And it was a collection of animated pieces set to classical music. And some of them are, like, really abstract and kind of crazy, and some are hilarious. There's one about Donald Duck as Noah trying to get animals onto the ark, and uh, set to, like, the graduation song, Pomp and Circumstance, and it's just ridiculous. Um, But there's also one that's really quite epic, and the final piece is certainly epic in scope. It's set to Igor Stravinsky's The Firebird, which is a ballet. And it begins with an elk in a forest, sort of exploring, and he comes across this sort of fairy or sprite kind of creature, and it's all sort of joyful and great. And then this firebird appears and plunges the world into sort of fiery destruction and chaos. And, and you sort of end on this low note like, oh, no, everything's destroyed and forgotten and the forest is burned. And then it returns to the elk and the elk sort of coaxes uh, this sort of spirit back to life and everything begins to turn green again. And I was thinking of that picture of new hope and green vegetation and glorious life sort of springing forth in a war-torn land because that's the sort of picture we get here in Zephaniah. In the middle of all of this judgment and all this destruction, we hear again a call to joy and a call to new life. Zephaniah was written sort of late 7th century, most think, and some consider it to be written during the time of King Josiah's reign in Judah. King Josiah was a boy king. He came, into, uh, came to the throne at about the age of eight. And throughout his life, he sought to bring about religious and social reform to Israel. He realized they had gotten so out of touch with who God was. They had just lost all of their sense of being his covenant people, lost their sense of faithfulness. And so they rediscover the book of the law and they start trying to call people back to worship. And they start to get rid of sinful practice. And, and, and it seems to work for a time. There's sort of wide-scale uh, reform for the people. And it's wonderful. It's really, really good. But uh, by the time he dies, Judah is unfaithful again. And it's like the reforms don't really take. And this passage, in Zephaniah three, fourteen to 20, likely was written, many think, after those reforms had taken place. Whereas in, in, in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 3, you get uh, a... a, a a word against them for their unwillingness to be corrected, and then you get in stark contrast again this sort of upspring of hope in verses 14 to 20, this dramatic picture of things changing. And the transition's quite jarring. Deborah Block, in her commentary on the passage, says in one moment you're hearing judgment and destruction, and then you suddenly hear God's promised salvation interrupts the destruction With a call to joy. The day of darkness and gloom is supplanted with a day of gladness. The day of darkness is supplanted by a day of gladness. And in many ways, Judah was in that place of darkness and gloom. And many of you in your lives may feel you're in a place of darkness and gloom. Or maybe you're doing okay, but you look around at the world and you go, man, I'm seeing a lot of darkness and gloom. (laughs) And what's God going to do about it? God, aren't you going to act in the middle of that? And again, thinking back to that land ravaged by the firebird in Fantasia 2000, right? Here's Judah rejecting the reforms and clinging to their idolatry and clinging to their injustices. And that just leads to oppression and chaos in the land. But then in the midst of all that turmoil and all that uncertainty, Zephaniah invites Judah to sing, to shout aloud, and even to rejoice, verse 14. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, like the return to hope and life after that fire ravages through in that, uh, in that film. There's a call here that Judah's fortunes are also going to be restored, and God's going to gather them together again. And the main, the key of how God is going to do this is in verse 15. Look at the end of verse 15. It says, the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. The transforming power of Jesus comes, folks, when God shows up in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the sorrow or the grieving in our lives, When God is in the midst, things change. Some say that that phrase, in the midst, in your midst here, is is repeated more times here in Zephaniah than in the rest of the Old Testament. I didn't actually look through that myself. But it is certainly key here in this passage. And as Christians, we affirm that God is in the midst, wholly and completely, in Jesus Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God showing up in the midst, fully human and fully God here with us. That's what what Christmas is all about, that God has come to be with us. And that's the crux of all the hope in this passage in Zephaniah. They can have hope and they can have joy because God is in the midst of them. God is present to them even in their own brokenness and even in their own sinfulness, God is there and he is ready to do his work if they will only turn to him. The presence of God, in other words, makes all the difference in our lives. He makes all the difference. I was thinking in my own life in moments where I've struggled with anxiety or worry about things and often that anchor point that sort of keeps me held fast is recognizing that God has got me in the middle of this even if i don't feel like that's true that's still true regardless of my emotions about what's going on around me there's a deeper bedrock that i can stand on of what is true and where i where my source of joy can be found even if i don't feel happy right Those are different things. And even when my mind feels broken, sometimes I find hope and joy knowing Jesus is with me. He's in the midst, even while I might be feeling all sorts of things about life. And he is with you. Whatever is going on in your life, wherever you're at this morning, he is with you. And again, that's that hope we celebrate in Advent That he is in the midst with us today. And when God is in the midst, there's some things that we can rest our hope in. Look at verse 15 again. He's taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies because the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. God clears a path, folks. You'll never again fear evil. There's a call to to let go of the fears we have because God is the king in our midst There's a call in verse 16, fear not, O Zion, don't let your hands grow weary. Sometimes we can get tired of trying to do the right thing over and over, and we get tired with life, and it feels like things aren't going anywhere. And here in Zephaniah, God says, don't let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Look at all of the promises from verses 19 to 20 of all the things God promises to do, right? I will deal. I will save. I will gather. I will change. I will bring you in. I will make you renowned. I'll restore your fortunes. Over and over again, we hear this encouragement of what God loves to do for people when he shows up in their midst and as people turn to him. In one commentary, Charles Spurgeon on this passage says this. He says, the fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of a divine promise is not the end of the promise. It's not the exhaustion of it. When, when a man gives you a promise and he keeps it, there's an end to that promise. Sort of the deal's done, right? There's the end. But not so with God. When he keeps his word to the full, he has but begun. He is prepared to keep it and to keep it and to keep it forever and ever. And I love that hope that comes here for Judah. That as God is in the midst, he'll deal with their oppressors. He'll save the lame and gather the outcast. He'll change their shame. He'll bring them in. He'll gather them together. He'll make them renowned and praised. He'll restore their fortunes. One of the questions earlier in the book of Zephaniah is who's Israel's king? Like who's really in charge? And in verse 15, as we already said, there's this moment where we remember God is their king. Regardless of whatever human kings might be set up at the time, God is ultimately their king. And as Christians, we proclaim that truth about Jesus. He's our king. Regardless of who else might be set up at the time, he is our Lord. And he is strong and mighty and dwells in our midst. And that's cause for great celebration. It gives us hope in the midst of our suffering, in the middle of our sorrow, that we can rest in him as our Messiah. So that's sort of the, the ancient background and how Jesus fulfills that. And now let's just think for a minute of how, what sort of implications there are for us for today. How does that hit you or touch on your heart or your life or your thoughts or your relationships this morning. I already mentioned that this Sunday is sort of the the Sunday of joy when it comes to Advent and the different themes of this season, a recalling of joy in the middle of, of what can often feel like a darkening season and, and is literally darkening, right? As the days continue to get shorter, we're almost at that turnaround, but not quite yet. I think there's three... Three places here where we are called to a newfound hope and joy for us today. And a lot of these we've already touched on already. But the first thing to remember is that these verses speak a hope to the people of Judah, even though they've been unfaithful to God. God will show up in their midst and turn their lives around, not because they were good, not because they got themselves sorted out and then they were ready for God. Not because God was waiting for them to sort of, you know, get enough brownie points before he showed up. Sometimes we think that way. I got to get my life straightened out before I'm, God would want to deal with me. No, that's not what this passage says. This passage is about God interrupting the sin and the brokenness to come and bring his joy and his life to us. God doesn't give up on them even though they've been unfaithful to him. And God will restore them because of his faithful character. And so I don't know about in your life, but I know there's times in my life where I've struggled with my own sinfulness and I feel unworthy of what God would want to do in my life or I feel like I'm too far gone. Why would God even care about me? Why would God want to change me? Why would God want to make me part of this story that he's telling? And it turns out, as I plunge myself into Scripture, I find out, well, that's what God does time and time again. God doesn't move because we're somehow good enough. He moves because he loves us, even in our unfaithfulness. Second, as Christians, we can have hope from this passage because we know it's fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. He's the one who's come to bring restoration and hope. And especially here at Advent, we celebrate his coming into the world because we now can know him personally as our Savior. We can know him in a deeper way here and today. And because of a faith in him, we can face hardships knowing he's really with us in the midst. And he does that by the presence of his Spirit with us. And the third thing is we can set our hope to the future. We can set our sights ahead knowing that Jesus will be in the midst when he comes again personally to set things right in his world and to restore his creation. And because of that future promise, we know that the tears and the sorrows of today will be wiped clean by God on that day when he comes again personally with his healing love. And so whatever difficulties are around us here and now, are only temporary and we can rest in the assurance that he will set things right when he comes again these words of hope again come after two and a half chapters of judgment and gloom and sadness but that gives that call to joy to sing aloud verse 14 says gives that call so much more power because we too even in the challenges that we see are called to celebrate God's ongoing and restorative work even when we are down and in brokenness. Again, the joy that this passage calls us to is more than just a feeling, it's a choice to make. We choose joy. We choose to live in light of who God is and in light of his faithfulness. We choose to remember his promises and recognize he's here in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives. And as we await his return, We choose joy here and now. We worship the king, the king of Israel, who is with us, who is strong and mighty. And our joy ultimately is found in the hope we have in Jesus. And so this Advent season, how does God's presence in the midst of your life bring you joy? What promises of God's faithfulness maybe from this passage, do you need to cling to this week? Is it, is it that you find yourself focusing on the doom or the sorrow or the darkness, as the rest of this book is, or do you choose instead to focus on the presence of God and the joy that he can bring? Emmanuel, God with us. It's God's presence in Jesus that empowers us to, to then not just be filled with joy, but to move into a place where we can love others and extend that joy to people around us. Even when life isn't going the way we'd hoped. This week I heard a song uh, by Sky Peterson, and there's the bridge of her song. It was so good, and it just hit home for this sermon this morning. She says... Emmanuel, you are the light at eventide. Holy, blessed Trinity, darkness is not dark with thee. Those you keep will always see the light. So don't lose heart in your waiting. Your waiting's not in vain. God is in our midst through Jesus Christ, our Messiah. God is at work, not just in our lives individually, but in our world he will work his restoration and his redemptive purposes to the good end he has for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are very aware of the times in our lives where we don't respond with joy. It's easy not to feel that joy. It's easy not to think of you first sometimes as things happen in our lives. And so, Father, we repent this morning of the times where we have We've chosen to focus on on the worry and the doom and the problems without focusing on you, without inviting you to come into that place and to do your work, Lord. So this morning, Jesus, we just ask that uh, everyone who's here this morning, those who might be watching online or maybe listening to the sermon later down the road, whatever's going on in your heart today, And it's complex. Our hearts are, there's hope and there's worry and there's fear and there's confidence all rolled up together. But this morning, let's open our hearts to the Lord and just say, Jesus, would you come? Would you come and be present in the midst here and now? Would you interrupt the thought patterns of worry or fear or anxiety? Would you interrupt the tendency to be negative and uh, down about situations around me and people around me. Lord, would you interrupt the sin in my life and bring your redemption and your salvation and your healing love to bear? Lord, would you come and interrupt my brokenness with your joy? Would you come and gather me again afresh into the community of God, into the family of God, where your joy can be experienced and, and present and felt as we encourage each other. Lord would you would you interrupt the brokenness in our lives with your joy this Christmas season so that we can extend your grace and hope to others who have no sense of your joy. And Lord would you come and re- remind us, encourage us that you've got us and that we can choose joy today, because we, get, we have hope that you've got the future. You've got the future. And you will see us through this season. Because you're alive, Lord. You hold the future. Life is worth the living. Because you live today. Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Lord, this morning as we would... Go our separate ways into whatever life holds and whatever we've got going on, responsibilities and commitments and caring for loved ones, marriage or family, life or work or school, whatever it might be. Whatever age we are, Lord, whether we're a grandparent or a kid this morning, Lord, would you come with your joy and fill us afresh by the moving of your spirit that we may live faithfully as your disciples that we may know you personally this morning, Jesus, and the hope that you have for us. Because you love us. Because you gave your life for us. Lord, would that settle deep in our hearts and in our bones this morning. And with the words you taught us, Lord, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I'd love to send you off with the benediction. It's so good to see you. I hope you're Hope you have a great week ahead. If you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray for you. Of course, before you go. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may he interrupt you with his salvation and his joy today. May you know that he's present in the midst of whatever you're going through. And may you put your hope and your trust in Jesus who loves you who has a good plan and purpose for you and will see you through to the end. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. do love you. Great to see you. Uh, Have a great week. Uh, Happy to connect with you after the service. Otherwise, we hope to see you next Sunday. Bless you.